A few months ago, well, it was probably a little more than that. It was towards the beginning of the year. I just I feel things stirring in me sometimes, and I and I've, I've learned that it's the Spirit of God. He'll direct you if you get become sensitive to Him. He'll direct you into what you need to study. He'll, didn't Jesus say He'll lead us into all truth? Well, especially the truth that's in the Word of God that we need. He knows what you're going to need, and He will prepare you if you become sensitive to Him. And so, not only do I need to be sensitive to Him for my own leading, but also for the leading of this church. And earlier this year, I just felt a desire in me to get back into faith, just my own study of faith. And, and I had a desire to just, I was sharing with my wife over dinner tonight, so, God's so good. I mean, we know that, but it's, every time I find a new facet of him, it gets so more exciting. Is, is I had a desire that was growing in me, not just to, to go back and to study faith, but to go back and hear it from Brother Hagen, who we studied under. And, of course, he went home to be the Lord seven years ago. It's hard to believe that. And I didn't have any of those tapes. But when the Hagens were here earlier this month, and we had a luncheon for some of the Raymond graduates, they gave some tapes away. Guess what I got? I got his original faith series. Praise God. I've been just, it's gold to me. Just listening to that and listening. So you're going to get some of that. But I already started studying that. And then something else that was growing in my heart to get into. And a book just arrived in the mail for me this week on that subject. But, but I'm learning to follow that desire in my heart and realize God's directing me to study something. And sometimes it's because he knows something that's coming along you need to prepare for. Sometimes it's because he wants to lead you somewhere to help other people. And in, in, in my case, it's also for the direction of this church. So we're studying faith. And, and, and faith is one of the most, probably the two most important things you can learn out of your Bible. Faith and love. Faith and love. Faith and love. Faith and love. Love's so important because God is love. But everything we receive from God, including his love, comes by faith. So we've gone and we've seen that, that we're saved by faith. That's why faith is important. That you cannot be saved without faith and is a gift that God gives you to receive the salvation that God offers you. Grace is God's side that he gives to you. Faith is what allows us to receive that grace that God's given to us. And grace includes anything that God gives to us as a free gift. So we've seen that, seen that we're saved by faith. We've seen in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it's impossible. Not hard. It is not possible to please God without faith. Why? Because what pleases God is what follows is in order to come to Him. That's what pleases Him. In order to come to Him, you must, which means there's no other alternative, believe that He is. Well, we all believe God exists. Well, do we? I mean, in the beginning of our study, we spent a little time saying, do you really believe God exists? Or do you just believe in Him? You can believe in somebody, but you're not sure whether they're there or not. You may believe in the president, but he's not here tonight. But it's when you believe that God is in your life, that he's present to you. Is doesn't just mean he exists. Is means he is present to you. He is there for you. You He will respond to you. If you call upon him, he will respond to you. He is there for you. The Bible says in several places, God is for you. It says in the Psalms and then in Romans 8, it says if God is for you, who can possibly be against you? God is for you. He is. He is, is present to you. But you can't, that won't do you any good if you don't believe that. And the second part of that is he's a, you have to believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In other words, he'll answer you. And the measure, the proof of what you believe about that is what you do. 
So if in a crisis, your first reaction is to call two or three people that you know and tell them, my goodness, this is happening to me. What are you going to do? Or it's to call some prayer line, and that's good. But what you first turn to in a crisis is where your confidence is. You can say all you want where it is, but when the metal, no, when the rubber hits the road, (laughs) when the rubber hits the road, that's the proof of what you really believe. So we went back and we've studied what faith is. Then we spent a little time studying what faith isn't. And that's important because I believe the reason a lot of people think they're in faith or get into faith and don't receive answers is because they're not really in faith or they're not exercising their faith. So we went back and looked at some of the things that faith is not. One of the things we discovered, faith is not hope. Hope is good. Hebrews 11.1, 1, and you might as well turn to Hebrews 11. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the King James. And we've discovered that if, if faith adds substance to hope, then faith is not the same thing as hope. It adds something to hope. And we discovered hope's important. Hope is like the thermostat in your house. And it's hard to relate to it in this kind of weather. But in the middle of the winter when it's 20 degrees outside and you get up in the morning and it's it's 55 degrees in your living room, what do you do? You reach for the thermostat and you turn the thermostat up to 68 or whatever you want it to be. That doesn't immediately bring the temperature to 68 What you've done is you've told the furnace where you want the temperature to be. So the thermostat's important because it sets the goal. But the power to get the temperature up is in the furnace. The furnace is faith, but the thermostat is hope. They're not the same thing. And the the way you can tell which you're operating in is hope is future-oriented. So if, you're, if I, somebody asks you, well, you, do you believe that God's going to meet your needs? Well, I hope so. Yeah, he's going to do it. I know someday it's going to come. That's good. That's hope. That's the thermostat. But that's not faith. Faith is now. Faith says, I have received it. It is mine now. It belongs to me now. I may not see it. Why? Because it's added substance to what I hope for that I don't see yet. But when it turns to faith... I possess it now in here. Maybe not out here, but in here. But you've got to possess it in here before you possess it with your hands or in the natural, in the the physical realm. It starts in here. Even the world understands that kind of concept, that that word. Because there are people out there, they'll teach you, if you go to motivational uh, uh, training sessions, they'll teach you to visualize things. I saw a special a golfer training session. This golfer talked about, you know, if I hit a bad shot in, in, a, in a round, he said, I will not swing again until I've gone back over that shot in my head. And in my mind, I picture myself swinging, hitting the, the ball correctly. Because when I go to swing the club again, I want the last impression in my mind to be a good swing, even though that's not what I actually hit the last time. So even unregenerate golfers understand this biblical principle, sometimes more than Christians do. So faith adds substance to hope. So faith and hope are not the same thing. So you can be in hope, hoping God's going to do it, and that's wonderful. You've set the thermostat. But the room will never raise to 68 
until the furnace comes on. And I've done that. I've gotten in the morning and it's cold. You check the thermostat and you check the thermostat and nothing happens. You don't hear that sound downstairs. And you go down and you flick the switch downstairs and nothing's happening. I know the furnace is out. So I got to go call the furnace repairman and come and light the pilot again or whatever they do because I don't care what the thermostat says. I want the furnace running. The second thing we saw that faith is not is it's not mental assent. And it's a little more subtle. Mental assent is when you agree with the principle, but that's not necessarily faith. You can believe in things, you can agree with things that are not part of you yet. Ladies, you may have had the experience of dating some handsome young thing, and he told you he loved you, told you all kinds of sweet things about you. And he may have believed that in his head, but it never got down in his heart. Because when it came time to make the commitment, he's gone. Why? Because he agreed with something mentally, but when the commitment of his heart and life was required, he wasn't there yet. And you're just as glad to be rid of him. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) What we began to talk about last week is how you release your faith. Another reason you can be in faith, and it can be faith, not hope, not mental ascent. You can be in faith, but you've not released it yet. And we started on that last week, and we're going to move along on this week. And this is a very critical area. So hopefully hopefully I gave you enough time to find Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to go down. Well, let's go to verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now we're going to go through some of these verses and take them apart because there's different elements to this. By faith, verse 7, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Now Hopefully we all know the story of Noah. Noah lived very early on in the book of Genesis. He was a fifth generation or something like that. And he lived at a time when the Bible says that God said about man, he regretted that he'd made him. Noah was the only righteous man left on the face of the earth at the time. And God spoke to him and told him to build an ark. Ark just means a big container. It was a boat. And then God gave him the dimensions of the boat to build because God was going to bring judgment on the world through rain. Understand that at that time it had never rained. The world had been, earth had been watered by dew rising and settling. And so God is planning to flood the earth. So you've got a man, Noah. We don't know how often God talked to him. It doesn't say, we just know he talked to him this once. And, of course, there are lots of jokes and stories about this, and some of them are very humorous. But just picture this man. God speaks to him one day and says, I want you to build an ark, a ship, because I'm going to cause it to rain on the earth. And it's never rained. And he doesn't live by the water. He's got a choice to make. God has spoken to him and told him something is going to happen, 
and something he's to do, and this verse says he'd not yet seen it. In other words, his senses, natural physical senses, did not verify the word that God had spoken to him. If you went out this afternoon and you heard a voice from heaven saying, Son, it's going to rain, it doesn't take any faith, does it, because you're already wet. Tell me something. I, tell me when it's going to stop. So by faith, let's see what it says. By faith, being divinely warned of things not seen. Now, how did God warn Noah? He spoke to him. And here are the elements we're going to see in these verses. Every time somebody did something by faith and their faith worked, there were, these are the elements. First of all, they got a word from God. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Otherwise, you don't have faith for what God's going to do because you don't know what He's going to do or what His will is unless He's told you what His will is. Does that mean all of us have to have a voice speak from heaven? No, you've got God's will sitting in your lap right now. It's full of instructions from God. It's full of promises from God. It's full of things God promised you He'll do. Therefore, it's our job and our responsibility to get into that book and find out what God's promised me. But whatever God's promised me is the same as the same authority as the word that God gave to Noah saying, I'm going to cause it to rain and I want you to build an ark. So by faith, having been divinely, that means from God, warned. In other words, God spoke to him. God, he had a word from God. And now that he has a word from God, and the word from God, and almost always it's the case, the word from God doesn't line up with what you see. So when God's word doesn't line up with what you see, and of course see doesn't just refer to your eyes, it refers to any of your senses, any of your natural senses. When what God has said doesn't line up with what your senses tell you, you have a choice to make. You've got to choose either to believe what your senses are telling you or what God said. And that's the choice we have every time. And Noah had that choice. So by faith, being div- having been divinely warned by, obviously by God, because that's the one that could divinely warn you, having been warned by God, in other words, God spoke to him and told him something that was going to happen. And Noah, now by faith, does something with that. And here's the next element. So God has to speak. You have to have God's word on it. Because ultimately, faith is believing what God said in spite of what you see. That's why faith is a choice you make. It's an act of your will. Either you choose to believe what God said, or you choose to believe what you see. And you can't do both. Just like Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. You can't do both. You do one or the other. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. So God spoke to him about something he hadn't seen. Moved with godly fear, that's respect for God, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So here it is. 
God spoke to him. Out of reverence for God, he believes what God said in spite of what his senses told him. Keep in mind, his senses also had lined up behind him experience which says it's never rained before. So it's not just he's looking at the weather report for today or the, or the, or the farmer's almanac for the next year. This is something that's never happened before and God says he's about to do something that's never happened before. And Noah has a choice to make. To either choose to believe what God said or choose to believe what his senses and his experience say. And out of reverence for God, he chose to believe what God said because of who God is and how much you can trust God's word. See, you believe God's word ultimately because of your reverence for him, because of who he is. And if we really understood who God was, we'd never doubt his word. When you understand that the very things your senses are looking at to verify were created by his word. And they're still held together, the Bible says in Hebrews 1, by the word of or Hebrews 11, by the word of his power. So God's word created everything, even the things our senses rely on, and it still holds them in existence. And yet we wonder whether we can trust it. But notice, by faith, warned by God, out of reverence to God, what did he do? He believed what God said. Is that what your Bible says? No. It says what? He built an ark. In other words, he acted on what he believed. And what we began to look at last week is the way you release your faith is by acting on what you believe. We learned last week that there's a difference between faith and believing. Not when you look at the Greek words, but there is in concept. You can believe something and not be in faith. The way you take that belief from belief and turn it into faith is you act on what you believe. And we looked and saw in James chapter two, where, chapter 3 where when Abraham did it, it sealed his faith. It sealed what he believed and it now became faith. And God respon- gave response to that. Well, we're going to see other examples in here. Well, let's finish the verse. He prepared an ark, and look at the result of having, having, having believed God's promise and then acting on it before he could see anything. The result was he saved his household, by which the condemned of the world became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive his inheritance, and we, when he, he went out, not knowing where he was going. The same elements are there again. Abraham, uh, Abraham was called to go out to a place. Who called him? God. So God spoke to Abraham. And if we could go back in Genesis and look at this story, where God tells Abraham to get up, and to go out, and he tells him to go to a place, and I'll tell you when you get there. Imagine what that dinner conversation was like that night. When Abraham comes home, 
sits down at the supper table. And of course, we know they didn't do things quite that way. But to bring it into our era, sits down at the supper table. He says, Sarah, or Sarah at the time, we're moving. Oh, good. We going to Florida? No. Why are we moving? Now, you've got to understand some background. Abram, is, which his name was at the time, he lived in a city called Ur, U-R, and it was in the old Chaldea, which is somewhere around where Baghdad is today. And his t- city were known as moon worshipers. This was not a child of God who regularly fellowship with God. This was a man who grew up to worship the moon. And I guarantee you, unless he'd been sipping things he shouldn't have been sipping, that moon never spoke to him. So his concept of God is you can see him, but you can't hear him because he has no voice. And now God, the true and the living God, speaks to him. Never heard him before. Speaks to him and tells him to get up and leave where he is and to take his family and go somewhere and he'll tell him where it is when he gets there. That took faith to go tell his wife. Now let's go over this again, Abram. We're moving. It's a nice house, nice place we got here. Nice city, like our friends. Kids go to school. We belong to the PTA. You know, everything's nice here. And we're to leave here? Why? Because God said to who? She's thinking of the moon. God said to. See, God didn't speak to her. Because when God speaks to you, that gives you some faith. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I remember a time when God spoke to me and told me to do the same thing. I was in a very successful law practice in Boston. Everything was going well. And, I, and God spoke to me and told me to take my family and go to, except this difference, I knew where we were going, although to me it was like a place I never heard of before. It was to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Bible school. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Northeasterner. I'm, I'm only comfortable if I'm by the water or I can see the water or I know that the water's within 10 minutes or 20 minutes away. To get further away, I start getting uneasy because I like, and, and by water, I mean ocean. Yes. I got out there and they told me we have water, but I discovered it didn't move. <laughs> it was lakes. That didn't count to me. It doesn't roar at night. You don't hear the lapping the side of the shore. It's lakes. It stays still. It, does, it may go up and down with evaporation, but it doesn't move. That didn't qualify to me. I'm from the Northeast. It's not water to me. God told me to move my family out there. And I felt like Abram. And I remember explaining this to the lawyer that I worked directly under. And he was like a father to me. He really mentored me and brought me along. And at the time of getting ready to leave, I realized he was panicked. Because he'd come every day, every day to my office. He's just face flush white. You know, are you sure you're going to have money? How are you going to take care of your family? I said, we're going to be okay. God told us to do this. And he'd look at me. And I'd have other lawyers come in and say, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm just following God. And I was worried. I mean, here, these are people I care about. And, and he, was, he, was, he was, couldn't sleep at night. I'm sleeping. He can't sleep. And we're the ones moving. And the Lord opened my eyes one day to see. He said, I didn't speak to him. I spoke to you. And when I spoke to you, that gave you faith that I take care of you. 
since I didn't speak to him, he doesn't have any faith I'm going to take care of you. He's relying on what he thinks you, what he thinks, hopes you heard. And it's the same thing with Abram. So understand the situation this man is in. He's hearing from a God he's never heard from before, telling him to do something that makes no sense. And God can't, won't even tell him where they're going. He just says, go, and I'll tell you when to stop. Now, how do we know whether Abraham believed him or not? By what he did. And notice what God calls it when he does it. So here Abraham's heard from God, and he obeyed, and the last part of that verse is, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So he heard God, he had God's word, he makes the choice between acting on what he understands and what he sees, because he doesn't see anything, because God didn't tell him what it looks like. And now he's got to choose whether to act on what God said, in spite of what his senses and his mind tell him, or act on trust in what his mind tells him or what his senses tell him. Well, we're grateful that he did what he did, because he's the father of our faith. And it says, by faith he went out without knowing where he was going to go. So God spoke. He is God's word. He believes God's word, and he can't see what God's telling him, that it's true. He has no other verification that what God's telling him is the truth other than the faith in, what God, in God. And then the last step is, in each one of these cases, having done that, now he has to choose to act on what he believes. And when he acts on what he believes, God goes on and says, he considered that as righteousness unto Abraham. Well, it gets even more interesting. Verse 9, By faith he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, sons of the heirs of the same promise. So he has a promise, and he's dwelling in the land. There's the action. Verse 10, For he waited for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received strength to receive, conceive a seed, and she bore a child who was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Let's go over to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, and offered up his only begotten son, in whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. So God had made a promise to Abraham, we talked about this last week, and said, Through that boy, you're going to become the father of many nations. And we saw God made clear to Abram that it was this son, because Abraham, not seeing the result yet, got together with his wife and cooked up a scheme to produce their own son. And then presented that son, Ishmael, to God and said, See, here's the son. And God says, No, it's going to only be because I made a promise and you believe my promise. And that's the only way it's going to happen. And now that having happened, God says, Now that son that I told you through that son you're going to be, that I told you, there's God's word. I told you, there's God's word. I promised you that through that son, which by the way he hadn't had at the time, and there was no prospect for having because he and his wife were too old and his wife was already barren. But they'd seen that son produce supernaturally. Now God says, I want to take your faith to another level. Take that son your only son, and bring him to the mountain I'm going to tell you and worship me there. God calls it worship. And when they get there, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows what 
God's asking, he's asking him to sacrifice his son. So he takes his son, who is of age. He's not a little baby. He's an adult. So that means Abram, who not only invested his faith in this son, has now invested probably 21, 22, 23 years of watching this son grow. This is the apple of his eye. This is the son of God's promise. And now God is, God is saying to him, I want you to offer him back to me. And Abraham, it says, it's so powerful. It says he got up early the next morning. If that were me, I'd sleep in as late as I could. Have several cups of coffee. There's some things we got to do before we get going. We want to slow the process. He, he just responded to God's word. When they get out there, they've got the, the animals have the, have, the, have the wood for the fire on their backs. And as they, he leaves the, the, his servants there, and he says, the lad and I are going to go, listen to what he says, the lad and I are going to go worship God, and we're going to return. That's what he said. They get up on the way up the mountain. His son asks him, Dad, I'm taking inventory here. I see the wood. I see the coals. I think we're missing something, Dad. Where's the animal for the slaughter, for the sacrifice? And Abraham's words were, My son, literally in the Hebrew, says God will provide himself. The sacrifice. And they get up there without hesitating. He builds the altar of wood. Not only is Abraham in faith, but his son is because his son lies down on the altar. But his son's faith is in him. Lies down on the altar, he binds him up, and he takes the knife up, and he come, goes to come down on it. The Bible, and of course, we know the story that an angel spoke. And said, now I know that you really fear me. The Bible tells us, it's either in Hebrews 11 or it's in, in Acts, uh, in Stephen's uh, story. Um, he said that God, I think it isn't, it's here. Let's take a look at it. How could he do that? I used to think, oh my goodness, what great trust in God. He was going to give his son up and just trust God. You know, I don't know how he could do that. But see, you've got to read the Bible. Uh, let's see. No. It's in Stephen's account of this. It says that he believed. Here, here's the situation. Let's go back. We covered this a little bit last week. Here's the situation. He has a promise from God over here 30, 40 years ago. I'm going to give you a son even though you're both barren. And through that son... Through that son, you're going to be the father of many nations. After about 25 years, Abraham finally got in faith. The son comes along. And now the son's grown up. And now God says, I want you to sacrifice him back to me. I want you to drive a knife through his heart and sacrifice him back. God said that. So he's got a promise from here over God. Through this son, you're going to be the father of many nations. Now the same God's telling him, I want you to kill him. Do you see an inconsistency there? I do. I'm sure Abraham did. Now, what we would have been tempted to do is rebuke one of those as being the devil. And it wouldn't be hard to figure out which one was the devil. But he knew the voice of God. 
He did not try to figure out what to do. He simply trusted the promise that God had made him. And it says in Acts that he believed that if necessary... See, God said, through that boy, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he believed that promise so much that it says that he believed that even if he had driven the knife through his heart, God would have to raise him back up because God said, through that boy, you're going to be the father of many nations. So how it was going to happen was God's business. All Abraham had to do was continue to believe God. And the proof of his believing was he acted on what he said, what God said. We can go on and says Moses' parents believed God and therefore when they saw that this child was beautiful, even though the king at edict was to kill every male child under the age of two, they trusted God and put him in a basket and set their son off. You've got to trust God to do that. It says Moses, when he got of age, trusted God. And even though he had promises to be the son of Pharaoh, he chose instead the reproach of his brethren. So we see that the elements of faith are that you have to have God's word because your faith is in what God has said. The second thing is you choose to either believe that or what your senses tell you because your senses most of the time will not line up with what God has said. In fact, if they line up with what God said, you don't need faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But the third element is then you must not just believe it, you must act on it. And this is where many of us fall, because we either are trying to protect God's reputation, because what if I step out and it doesn't work? Well, I guarantee you, if you don't step out, it won't. Let's, let's look and turn to Matthew chapter 14. One of these stories in here we talked about last week, which is Peter walking on the water. And we looked at the story and we saw that the 12 disciples had been told to go to the other side. 12 disciples had been told. 12 disciples had been told. 12 disciples had been told. The Son of God had given his word. He didn't say, go to the middle of the lake and drown. He said, go to the other side. That meant you'll make it. So they had God's word. They get in the boat, halfway out, the storm comes up, they're straining against the storm, and they see Jesus walking. And in one of, the, one of the versions said he would have passed them by. And they're afraid. They call out to him, we went through this last week, and, 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 and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid us to come. And Jesus said, come. God has now given his word. He wouldn't say come if Peter couldn't come. And we went through last week the choice Peter had to make. Sitting on the edge of the boat with a boat going up and down in a storm, he's, his feet are in the water, so he's leaning towards it, but he's not... He's believe, he may be believing it, but he hasn't stepped out yet on that word come. But when he stepped out on the word come, he walked. 
And of course, what happens is he gets distracted by the wind and the waves. And see, this is the element. You can start out in faith and then get distracted by your senses and get out of faith. I've seen over and over again cases where people got in faith. They were dealing with a serious physical issue. They got in faith. They began to operate in their faith. They began to step out in faith. And they get a good report from the doctor. And if somebody comes to you, Pastor, I got a great report. I say, wonderful, but don't put your trust in the report. Because the very temptation is to say now to shift over. I've got a good report. It's getting better now because the evidence is getting better is the doctor's report said it's getting better. That means I've stopped trusting in what God has said as my foundation of what I'm standing on. And I'm not trusting in what my senses tell me. And that's what Peter did. And the moment he looked at the wind and the waves, and we talked about last week, what did a storm have to do with whether he could walk on the water? Is it easier to walk on calm water than stormy water? It has nothing to do with it. You can't walk on water unless God says, come. Now, there's another example in here which follows this. And we'll close with this. That takes us down through verse 33. Verse 34. This is so powerful. Sometimes the little stories in here were the ones we, we miss so easily. And when they crossed, verse 34, when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they recognized who he was. They sent out into all the surrounding regions and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. So what's happened here, he comes into this region, they recognize who he is. So faith arises that if Jesus is here, all we've got to do is touch his garment and we'll be made whole. We see that in Mark chapter 5 and in Matthew chapter 9, where a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years says the same thing. And it wasn't saying that it did it. She had to say it and then she went in, did it. And here you see a clear example because it's not just one person. There's a whole group of people. Jesus comes into the community. They say, oh, Jesus is here. Let's go get all the sick so that they can be healed. They gather the sick around him and they all said together, they came into an agreement, if we just touch his garment, we'll be made whole. That's what they believed. But look what happens. It does not say, and they were healed. What it does say is they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched it were made perfectly whole. That implies there were people in that group that believed that if they touched his garment, they'd be made whole. But if you believed that and you did not touch his garment, you were not made whole because it was when you act on that word that you take what you believed and it now becomes faith. You make that connection I talked about several weeks ago where you've got the plug of the toaster in your hand and you believe that if that toaster is connected to the electrical power, your toast will burn, your cook, will not burn, it will cook. But holding that in your hand and believing that for the rest of your life will not cook your toast. 
believing that there's enough power in that outlet to cook your toast or run your hair dryer, will not run your hair dryer or cook your toast. It's only when believing that you stick the plug in there, you connect to the power source, and when they reached out and touched his garment, they connected to the power source. That's what Mark chapter 5 says. When she touched his garment, he felt power go out of him. And he didn't even know who she was. Here's another story that's a proof positive that it's Jesus' will to heal everybody. Because some of these people got healed and some didn't. And it wasn't because he had a naughty and nice list. You're in the nice list, you get healed. You're in the naughty list, you don't get healed. No. What decided who was healed and who wasn't was their choice. And it was proven by when they acted on what they believed. They said, just as she said, if we touch... See, they set the conditions. We don't have time to to go back. But you can do a study that Jesus met people's needs many times better on the men on the conditions they set. My favorite one is, 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 is Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. A centurion comes to Jesus. It says, my servant's lying home, suffering terribly. And before he can tell him what he wants, Jesus interrupts him and says, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion says, stop saying, no, no, that's not what I was going to ask you to do. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm a Gentile. But not only that, you don't need to. Because like you, I'm somebody under authority, and I'm somebody in authority. I've got soldiers under me. When I say come, they go. When I say come, they go. When I say come, they come. When I say go, they go. And my, to my servant, as I do this, they do it. In other words, they do that because they recognize my authority. They carry out the authority of my word. And I recognize the authority of your word. Therefore, I don't need you to come all the way to my house and lay your hands on my servant. You don't have to do that. I recognize the authority of your word. All you've got to do is say the word here, and I know my servant will be healed then. So he changed the way Jesus was going to deliver this man. And Jesus stops. And he turns to the entourage following him. He says, you see this? I have not seen this great faith in all of Israel. It excited him. It turned him on. Someone had gotten a hold of what he had gotten a hold of and acted on it. The woman with the issue of blood came up and touched him literally at the risk of her life. It was illegal for a woman to be in public unescorted It was illegal for a woman to be in public at all with an issue of blood, let alone to touch a holy man. That's why it says she fell down trembling in fear because she'd been found out. But did Jesus judge her? He was excited about her and what she'd done. Faith excites God. In fact, Jesus said, when I come back, I'm going to look and see, do I find any faith here? I want him to find faith at Faith Christian Center other than on our letterhead. 
in this group, if you were in this group and you were sick, you decided whether you were healed or not. So there may have been people that walked away and they didn't get it. And they may have been saying, I guess it wasn't God's will. And it was God's will. He, in fact, in, Luke, in Luke's, one of these versions, in one of the stories of Luke, it says, and the power was present to heal. Understand this, and we'll end with this, because we started out our discussion with faith about this. What faith does is it allows us to receive something God has already given. I'm going to just take a moment and do this. Brendan, would you come up here? Brendan puts the water in this glass. Brendan, I'm thirsty now. I've been preaching for a while. I need a drink of water. Brendan, I need a drink of water. I really need a drink of water, Brendan. I need, I need a drink of water. I, I just, stop a second. Folks, I'm thirsty. You know, look, even for the sake of this church, if I don't get water eventually, I'm going to get sick and die. I need water. So please, for the sake of them, I know I'm not worthy, but for the sake of them, I need water. I'm thirsty. Oh, please, Brendan! Please, Brendan! What's the problem? He's putting it in my face. Thank you. I'll take it. I've got to reach out and take it. Or it doesn't do me any good. And we have, in our lives, we spend all our energy so much of the time trying to talk God into giving us a drink of water. Telling Him why I need it. What's going to happen if I don't get it? All the reasons to talk Him into doing something He's already done. Faith does not get God to do anything. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8.32, one of my favorite scriptures, He who spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also freely give us everything else He's got? He's not held anything back. But you can't receive it until you believe it's yours and you won't take it. And even if you believe it's yours, it doesn't do you any good until you reach out and you take it to yourself. And you don't take it to yourself tomorrow. I couldn't say, Brendan, yeah, I'll take it tomorrow. It wouldn't do me any good. I have to take the glass now. Releasing your faith. And next week, we're going to talk about how you do it.